In today's episode, we chat all about design, UI, UX with Nathan Powell. Let's deploy. Hello and welcome to Push to Prod. I'm your co-host, Cole, and I work on UserLot, building tools that help SaaS companies deliver more effective customer success. And I'm your co-host, Dan Miller. I'm building a SaaS for the first time and learning as I go. Each episode, we chat about all sorts of things to do with the world of starting, growing and operating software businesses. Today, it's the 21st of June. And for all those people who are in the Northern Hemisphere, we're very envious of you. You've got lovely warm weather. It was minus five here in Canberra last night and I've been dodging black ice on the road on my bicycle. <laughs> well, that's not too bad. But to what we're actually, the reason why we thought we'd talk about the Northern Hemisphere is we've got a guest on today from the Northern Hemisphere from the lovely world of Spain. We've got Nathan J. Powell. Now, Nathan, he, he's, we've been working um, in the background on a bit of UX stuff and UI stuff and we thought, you know what? We know someone out there who's actually a serious professional in this space so that we thought we'd have a conversation with Nathan. Nathan's the founder of three products, uh, Nusli, Nusi. Uh, he worked on that a while ago with uh, Michael Copper and then he also developed the solution course called Develop Your UX and he's also building a product called Feature Flux, which is a design collaboration tool. So who better to get on the conversation about UX and UI than Nathan? Welcome, Nathan. Hey, guys. Hey guys, nice to be here. Nice and bright and early here in Spain. <laughs> yeah, well, so I was, I'm just going to tee off on uh, what Dan said, that how cold it is. It's not minus five here, but it was about four today and I'm freezing. <laughs> and my uh, my gas fireplace broke, so I've got a month of cold. No, <laughs> yeah, bad news. <laughs> I've, got, I've got the air conditioning on already, so 8 a.m. Yeah, I've got yeah, the yeah. air conditioning on. <laughs> Nathan's up there, you know, just having a siesta in 30 degrees, just yeah, balmy, yeah. loving it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nathan, for coming on. Yeah, like um, as Dan said, um, you know, we've been back and forth a bit on building some new stuff and talking about UX and we were about to do a, yeah, like a, an episode on, you know, can developers learn how to, you know, to, to build good UI and good UX and then we thought, hang on, we better not do it. Let's get someone on who knows what they're talking about. And, uh, yeah, hence that's why we invited you. So, yeah. Cool. Do you want to, um, to be here, man. yeah, give the listeners, I think most people might know you, but if not, do you want to give us a quick just background of, you know, how you came to be where you are, I guess, and what you're interested in and things. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been a designer since 2005 as when I started. So back in the days when magazines were a thing, you know, that's where I started in editorial design. Uh, and then that kind of went the, the way of the dodo and I had to sort of morph into this web designer when tables were still a thing and uh, I actually started learning <laughs> oh, yeah. code back then you know and I did code stuff but I was, I was terrible so I quickly learned that no I think my skills are better put to use you know on the other side of things through what was then just visual design and uh, come 2013 I, I started building or rather I started designing my, my very first uh, own product my SaaS which was as you mentioned Nusi Proposals which is still going today uh, which I sold but um it was there that the kind of the whole usability journey started because before that it had all pretty much been website design or visual design. Uh, but everything changes once you start getting customers, right? You start getting people who want to pay you every month to use a service and, and things change dramatically. It's not just some static uh, design, should we say, that looks good and promotes something. It's something that people need to interact with and to be able to use and to understand how it works and to function as they expect it to work and so that was really where things kind of took off for me back in 2013 um and so over the last 10 years i've basically been focused on on what is product design and and how things 
how things do work, how, how they should work, how users would like them to work, how they expect them to work, which are all completely different things, of course. Um, and, and so that's pretty much where I've been for the last 10 years. I'm working now uh, as a freelance product designer. So I, I'm typically working with SaaS that have <laughs> incidentally been developer designed and built, um, which I think is very common, uh, particularly on the smaller side of, of, the, of the SaaS world. Obviously, if you get yep. into you know, big investment, then you obviously have your teams with your designers, your developers, your UX, your marketing, everything. But I think particularly for smaller scale businesses, uh, the uh, development team led design is very, very common. And luckily for me, it is because that's usually where I get called <laughs> that's in. That's your source. Yeah, usually is where I get called in maybe typically a couple of years down the road because they start to see things have begin have begun to implode, you know, once you get past the, the initial app. It's like, oh, we need to add this, we need to add this, and then things kind of start to fall apart, shall we say. And that's so that's typically where I'm sort of helping folks out. Ah, cool. Nice. I, it might be a good segue just before we get deep into it is just sort of start throwing, we've been throwing around words like, you know, UI and design and product design and even development. I thought it might be good just make sure we're on the same page and sort of work out what are those terms, like where does product, UI, UX and sort of engineering and are they four different things, are they three different things? They do, like where do you see, I guess both of you guys, Dan and Nathan, like where do you see the biggest I guess, challenges and things that you see missing in startups is it, you know, obviously I think engineering pretty, most most startups tend to be tech heavy, so that's probably fine. But then you've got this idea of like UI design, making things look nice, UX, a little bit more of how does it, you know, operate, things like that. And then you just got product in general, which is are we solving the right thing? Are we building the right thing? That type of thing. Do you guys, is that how you split it up in your head or is there sort of a different way of breaking these down? Um. I, I think so many of the pay, so many of the, the so many of those roles have been melted now into 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 one should we say almost especially as I said those developer led design teams should we say design in air quotes um, you know because they're having to think of everything the developer who was never trained to think about UI or to think about usability is is having to take all of this into 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 account and so I think so many of these roles have been distilled down now and. The caveat here is I'm always I'm pretty much always referring to smaller smaller businesses, you know. So for me, like as a, as a product designer, for me and for for the way that my clients understand it, the product incorporates both the the usability aspect of it and the the visual, should we say, the, the user interface aspect of it, um, because so many of these terms as well um, have different meanings depending on who you talk to as well. Obviously, like the product manager has nothing to do with the product designer as it, as in you know what they do so it's it, it can be a little confusing if you're especially if you're speaking for people to people to people outside maybe of these roles but i think so many of them them cross over i think for me at least on the outside looking in the one true the one that always remain <clears throat> excuse me the one that always remains um apart is the development itself you know because let's face it without the development, without the code, without the, the structure, the pretty much nothing else outside of that exists. So for mm. me, I think there are, I'd say almost two groups. So the development and then product, at least for me in my yeah. space, so the product incorporating, you know, usability and uh, uh, visual, should we say, user interface. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Dan, is that sort of how you see it, at least for the smaller scale 
startup sizes. Yeah. You've, you've always got to be, we'll probably get into this a bit later, but yeah, you've definitely got to be scrappy in the early days uh, for smaller teams, for larger teams, for sure. I like the separation there because then you can actually specialize and get the, um, get the people that know what they're doing to sort of focus in their area. Not everyone's going to be good at everything at all times. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And it's probably analogous. Like you flip, flip it around the other way and you're a, you know, you're, you're a, a product guy, product UI guy, and you're trying to hire developers to build your SaaS, you're not going to go out and I just need a DevOps. You know, I need a, you need a, you need a developer who can build the whole thing. And I guess it's the same thing with startups. When we start thinking about, oh, I'm missing, something's not right with my UI, UX. The thing, how I got to thinking about this was, well, can, can I get better at that? And I guess that's sort of filling in the background of where we got to here, especially with use a lot, is I would say we're very tech heavy and when I say tech it's not even that it's we're good at dev we're good at sales we're even good at marketing we've actually got a lot of that now for our experience but none of us are tr- tried and true and bred and educated or whatever whatever you call it like UI UX people um, and so that's a massive sort of gap mm. but we have enough technical expertise so you start thinking about well hang on how you know how how prescriptive or how, how much process is actually involved in skilling up on this stuff, you know, yeah. at least to some level that could be acceptable, you know. And um, so you're probably asking the question, should we do this ourselves? Can we do this? Is it a good idea for us, you know, tech-heavy folks to get involved and try and figure this out and to get good at design? Can we do it? And that's the question I think we're focusing on today. You know, can design be learnt to a good enough standard by folks in the technical side of it? Or, you know, should you always think about using an expert? That's the question, what we're going about today. Always use an expert. Always use an expert. I'm available for hire. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> yeah. But obviously you've developed a course, you're a consultant on it. I mean, where, when you find these, uh, are they, you know, they've just hit the, you know, they've hit the, like the, the thing's fallen apart, like, and you yeah. sort of go, dude, you should have started earlier. Like, is it like that? Or like, what's your experience? Well, my experience is that, um, you know, in in mo- most cases, I feel I feel a bit sorry for the developer because you know they really have done the best that they can in putting the system together, and they've added added things on. It's usually just the case of as the system grows and as the app grows, obviously they want to add features and they want to add you know uh, more capabilities to it, so they kind of just get tacked on. And of course, they they do it in a way that makes sense to them as a developer because you know, we don't think in the same way, typically, you know, what makes sense logically to a developer, perhaps, obviously, these are all general broad strokes, but what makes sense uh, logically to a developer, uh, coming from a code point of view, and also probably trying to bear in mind as well, a little bit how the user will interact and and feel about this. um, It's different to how somebody who specializes in in usability or or, or product will think about it, because... (coughs) They will have more experience in actually interactions within uh, a given piece of software, and I think one of the biggest things I see, one of the biggest problems I see, is when I'm called into a project, is that um, things really are tacked on in the most ad hoc kind of way. And that one page may have this layout, and then the second page that they're clicking through to to you know fulfill a, an action is actually has a different layout with the, all of a sudden the buttons have been moved from here to here to allow for another interaction that they see as necessary and all of the things the developer has done are correct in that yes to click from here to get to this action uh is correct and then they need to be able to undertake another action for example but they kind of forget that you know 
the user wants to have a consistent experience. They want to know that, okay, so when I click through up on the top right, this button is still going to be here and it's not going to be moved just because they needed to allow for another mm. set of actions. Um, so while what the developer is doing is logical uh, and, and you could follow it, their reasoning, it doesn't necessarily translate into something that uh, a customer or a user is going to feel comfortable with. So to get back to your question, you know, can a development team or a developer learn the necessary skills to to be um, proficient enough? I think the virtual answer to that is yes. It's because I, I think as well there's there's a there's a, a distinction between you know should we call it a graphic designer, a visual designer, and what is a, a user interface designer as well because. You, yes, you can be creative with user interface design, but at the same time, everything is so standardized now. Mm. Uh, it, you know, if we just think about something like Tailwind, uh, love it or hate it, um, and probably more designers hate it than developers do, but it's very standardized for a reason because, you know, we have become used to certain layouts, certain looks, you know, the left-hand sidebar down the right or the primary navigation along the top right with maybe the user profile and the settings in the top right or down the top, uh, sorry, in the bottom left at the sidebar. All these things we've become so used to to, to using that when somebody tries to in, invent or logically add a next step, i.e. developer, I'm looking at you, um, it, it throws the user off because, oh, I'm not yeah, used to... Yeah, it can be jarring. Yeah. I'm not used to something like that. You know, I would expect it to be here because that's what we see over and over and over again in all these apps that we use on a daily basis. You know, it's standardized for a reason. And so that means that, yes, it's something that can definitely be learned by the developer, the founder, or whoever needs to be. Will they be at the same level as, you know, a UX designer who, who's, who's been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years? No, probably not. But um, just getting those basic, basic principles is going to allow you to move in a, in a far safer direction and you know not upset your users and therefore not upset your boss or your founder or whoever that might be um mm. so yeah def- I'm definitely glad you said that because that's yeah like i was thinking that exact thing i think it was today or yesterday i was thinking about this podcast i was like the fact that there's all these common layouts and structures to you know landing pages i know that you know you get videos where they're like you know do something original and break out of that and stuff but i'm like that's not my job like i'm not like i think that you are the person who's good at it should break out of it the person who's just trying to get a job done I think <laughs> it's great like because to me then from because I'm I'm this founder that's starting to think about how do I get better at it and when I think about better at it I know where to go to get I know where to go to Tailwind I know which YouTube channels I want to go to look at different layouts and stuff so I find myself then struggling because I don't put enough time in into just mastering I guess the tools like you give me a whiteboard and I'll Bop yeah. up a cool thing and I, I did it today I was like we we're trying to do something on Figma I went fuck this let's go to the whiteboard and we just smash stuff out and I'm like that's the bits that's missing that's the bit I'm missing I want to be able to sit in front of Figma with the team and just smash something out quickly. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the idea that um, there's probably near enough is good enough in the early days of a product so my thoughts there and I want to put this out there to see what you guys think you're starting a product for the first time maybe you're a small team or a solo founder and you know, haven't got that much resources and you've got to do everything as a crew or as by yourself. So your idea is just get something up and running, get it working and just start checking and validating your idea first with customers. See if they actually like it. See if you've got something of value for them there and see if they'll start buying it for you. Just get it going. And then at some point, figure out a way to potentially bring someone else in because maybe you've got a bit of revenue. Bring someone else in to start 
improving and polishing things. What do you guys think about that as an approach or is that a dangerous approach? I'm not sure. My, my thoughts on that changed have changed over the years. So before I started my, my first SaaS, I was clearly in the camp of, no, get a UI designer in, get it to look great because otherwise users won't want to use it. They won't even want to sign up for it. All this good stuff, you know? Uh, and I think a lot of visual designers still believe that, you know? And there is a lot of truth, you know? There is a, a huge caveat in that, yes, good design, good visual designs uh, um, creates confidence uh, in the potential user, you know, because we can see that it's something that looks, uh, you know, appears to have a level that we would uh, associate it with whatever price tag is, is being assigned to it, you know? But I think over the years that has changed for me, and at least in that, I've worked with I've worked with so many clients now who are work, who are running multi million dollar SaaS uh, businesses, and their app still looks like it was designed uh, in Excel, basically. You know, Salesforce. <coughs> um, <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know these old Microsoft apps, uh, and they are still running, and they are still making millions. So I, I think there's two sides to this. Is like one. Is it really, truly this idea, this software providing a valuable uh, service, a valuable product? And in which case, if it is, users will always be willing to pay for that, you know, to have that. It's the age old solving a, a real problem, isn't it? If it's solving a real problem, users are willing to put up with maybe something that doesn't look at, like it, it just stepped out of a, an Apple, you know, ad. Um, because primary function of any so piece of software is to get a job done. After that, everything else comes. Now, all the designers out there will kill me for saying that, but that's the primary goal of a software, isn't it? Of a piece of software is to get a job done uh, and to mm. make it easier to get a job done. So once that has been established, then yeah, sure, let's take a look at the visual aspect of it. And, wh and when I say like getting the job done, I'm talking about is it easy to get the job done? You know, is it easy to use to get this to get this done? You know, from there, you, you can definitely uh, either if you're not in the situation to, to do it yourself, you know, bring in a, a part-time, uh, you know, UX consultant or something and say, okay, is this where it needs to be to, to get, to make the user the, you know, the, the happiest possible, should we say, using the software. And from there, yeah, you know, make those improvements, make the, make the, make the, the layouts, the, the standardization, should we say, of every interaction, the consistency, you know, the contrast and all this stuff that a lot of people tend to forget and then actually make it look great as well. But I think by far the, the, the most important aspect of it is, is it working? Does it do a good job of solving the problem? Are people happy? And I would, mm. I would argue that the visual, the UI first software that we see so much of around the web, um, you know, 99% of those apps go the way of the dodo within the first 12 months. Mm. But it, I would argue that an ugly app that is solving a real problem is going to stay around for years and years and they're the ones that are going to make yeah. the money. So, yeah. um, you know, sorry to my fellow design brethren, but you know, it's <laughs> the design can almost take a back seat at least for a while. You know, it's not mm. the most important thing at the beginning of a product. Interesting. It's probably one of these iterative things, isn't it? Like these days, I totally understand. Agree. I think, I think trying to catch, there's some, probably some things you want, right. In terms of being you know, to catch someone initially, either through your landing page stuff. And that's probably oh, still sure, UX. Yeah. Like don't put up barriers, make it really easy, you know, and get them into the product ASAP. And then you want to show value and that doesn't have to be perfect. I think 
from there though to get the real love and and the real probably brand awareness that's that's where i think maybe the level has come up do you know what i mean mm-hmm. like even these days when you go look mm-hmm. at a um a tech like it happens a lot actually on technical um libraries and stuff and you see their websites and the level of even their developer documentation in terms of branding and stuff like it's you could see the level has it's not just a GitHub repo anymore. Bar has been risen. I can remember, you know, you could you could pick up like the most ugly printed thing, looked like it was done on a typewriter, and you could, you know, that, that you'd be sitting there going, "Oh, that's great. Let's dive into that and use it." No way on earth would anyone accept that anymore these days. They'd be going, "What is this junk? What are yeah. you talking well, about?" Well, yeah, I definitely so. choose it. Like if I'm looking for a new UI library or a new technical thing, I'll go look at the couple of websites, different options I got. I'll probably pick the one that. You know they've spent the most time looking at the branding and the in the UI even of mm, their mm. website, uh, which is kind of funny because it's got nothing to do with the actual library under the covers. So yeah, there is there is some sort of like subjective minimum, isn't there now that people expect beyond? If you go below that and it starts just looking like absolute junk, people might start sort of questioning it, going, mm, "I'm not really sure about the quality of this thing," or you know how much effort's been put into it. Is it going to be around a long time? So there is potentially a bit of that, yeah. I also think it depends which which market you're you're working in, um, because there are so many. Even though we'll say B two B SaaS uh, products out there, but there are so many that should we say a you know B two pro consumer, uh, sorry pro consumer um, type softwares out there, and uh, you know those are the ones obviously B two C and and pro consumer the ones who want all the bells and whistles and fancy and it and needs to look amazing. Whereas again, I think the B2B, obviously, yes, depending on the, the, the segment you're working with, it needs to be more or less polished depending. I mean, obviously, if you're putting out a piece of software that's going to be going into banks, um, then, you know, you can't just throw them up that sort of <laughs> almost a wireframe yeah. looking piece of software, yeah. you know, because these elements of trust are, you know, you know, very closely aligned with that with that aesthetic as well so it does depend on the market that you're you're looking to looking to work with i think and that's and that's totally true with like um even b2b when you're targeting like self sign up get and this is what you're talking about like that whole if i'm going to throw something off on product hunt or something like that uh, i want to make sure the thing is easy to use and people can just use it whereas if i'm selling to you know five figure deals to you know high value you know long long onboarding cycles i can afford I could like in the early days of Social Pinpoint, which is my old startup. Like we did the setup, so the back end we we used a, a Rails library called Active Admin, still in there today, which is just a it generates your admin, looks like crap. We branded it a little bit, but um, you know it was so clunky that we used to do all these CSV uploads and all that sort of stuff because we could do it. Like the client didn't have to do it anyway. So I guess it's it's kind of funny that the bigger end deals can probably almost have the crappier UIs and the mm-hmm. cheaper ones need more investment on the UIs and make it look nice. It's sort of this inverted cost thing. Yeah, it's that difference, isn't it, between the manual on board and the uh, self-serve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, and I think part of the manual on board as well is also part of what creates the confidence there uh, or the trust is the fact that, okay, they know there is actually somebody behind this piece of software because they're walking yeah. through the setup or they're creating my account for me or I'm talking to them on the phone. So I think these are almost very different beasts, you know? No, it's all about trust. And if you if you can afford to have that relationship and build that trust, you're replacing the need for doing that through the user interface and the user experience. Whereas if you're not doing that because of cost point and all that, yeah, you're building out. So the, the problem is still there. It's all about trust and relationships. 
And you lean on either the pe- person yeah. or you lean on the design and the brand. Yeah, it's a good point. It's as you guys have been talking, I've just been thinking in the background something that's happening literally live in the last 24 hours. And it's exactly what you just said, Nathan. Um, it depends on the industry. It depends on the market. Have you guys been keeping up with some of the chatter that's been going on online about Google Analytics 4? Um, for those that aren't aware, you know, Google Analytics, that's the stuff you put behind the scenes to keep track of, you know, who's using your website, where they're coming from, that sort of thing. Um, they've recently moved from the version three to over to a new version called number four. Yeah, it's so funny. You're seeing some of the comments going out on live. If you've ever heard of one of the indie hackers, Danny Postmar, he's um he's pretty famous around the traps. His statement um, recently was, "Who the f approved Google Analytics for?" Um, so and there's other people sitting there saying, "In other news, Google Analytics four is still shh, but you know, I wish someone would still build something better." So what's going on there is it's exactly what you said, Nathan. The pain is high enough. The industry is such that everyone gets value out of it. So maybe the UI actually doesn't matter because people are still in there and they're still going to hand over their credit card to use the thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I still don't understand the difference of those. But it just it shows the point, doesn't it? Like, you know, you can you can have a situation unfolding where because it's a burning need and there's not much alternative, people will just deal with it. <laughs> and they also have that established brand name as well, don't they? So it's a big, it's a big, big uh, you know, divider as well. Like you said, you know, if you yeah. do have, if you have the brand name to a certain point, you can do what you want, you know, because even if they hate it right now, you know, in six months, if they improve it or whatever, or completely scrap it or change it, then people will come back and they'll be fine with it. So it's, it's, it just depends who you are. It really does as well. Mm, <laughs> it's unfair, yep. but it does. So like you said, uh, so just going right back um, to sort of our conclusion from the initial statement of can we learn it, the answer was sort of like yes. So and given that you have a course and you've obviously, I'm assuming then have helped people learn, how, you know, is it like what's the first steps I guess? Is it finding a course? Is it finding someone? Is it just getting in there and getting, you know, rolling up your sleeves and what Dan does just needs to know how to make a marketing site. I'm just going to do it one weekend. That's what he did. <laughs> so right. is it that? Like <laughs> how do you recommend someone uh, yeah, kick off that journey. I think for one thing, and this is probably mo- the most difficult thing out of, out of the entire process is finding dedicated time to to up to upskill. Because if you're working full time as the main developer or one of the developers on your, whether it's a team or whether it's just your your own product, obviously you need to be able to say, well, okay, I'm going to find you know five hours a week or or one day a week or whatever it might be to actually try and learn about this 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 new area and i think that's probably the hardest thing you know if i was going to look to learn a new skill now i would probably struggle to find the time you know there's so much going on um but i think having said that you know if you can if you can find the time which is obviously you need to then i think is where you need to start looking into things like obviously books are a great source of information always there are some classic books out there that have been classics forever and will remain to be so um Yes, there are courses all over the place as well for for UX design. There are a bunch of free ones out there as well. You know, even if we just think about something like Skillshare, uh, they always have introductory offers. I think at this point, I mean, I don't want to tell you to to go out and just sign up to everything because obviously it could be a complete waste of time and you could be learning things that aren't potentially that helpful or you could be learning contradictory things depending on who you're talking to within the industry. But I think just being able to sit down, just choosing, making a decision one way or the other. Okay, so I'm, these are a couple of great books that have been recommended to me by someone I know, trust, who works in in, in the industry. 
this is a course that's been recommended to me. Um, taking those things on board. Another, I think an ideal thing as well is if you do have someone on the team who is working in UX, but not exclusively perhaps, that mentor, should we say in air quotes, uh, just not so much to, to for someone to teach you, but to be able to reference. So say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this or I'm thinking about uh, switching this up here. What do you think? And for them to be able to come back and say, well, do you know what? I like your thinking if they're being polite. But uh, maybe, maybe it would be better if we stick to this, you know, slightly more standard idea of, of doing this. I think it's probably one of the biggest helps you can have is just having that point of reference with somebody who knows or just a little or maybe even just a little bit further down the road than you are in your process, you know, of learning more about sort of uh, UX and UI. Um, and of course, the other thing as well is YouTube obviously is immense. So if there is any particular area you want to look at, like, you know, our sign-up form sucks or our, you know, our, our drop-off rates are terrible. Um, one of the easiest things to do now is just to go and Google that, right? Or to, or to YouTube it. And usually, again, there are a bunch of common reasons why your sign-up uh, form drop-off is so huge. I mean, maybe you're one of the businesses that has 12 fields all on one page and only actually two of them are required everything else is just because we want to feel good about getting more data on our customers uh you know we want to feel good that we've just had you know a fortune 500 sign up um whereas that's just annoying you know a potential sign up and actually making them think about going elsewhere these are all things that you can of course get later in the process it doesn't mean to say that you don't have to get these data points now but just make it as you were saying before colin just make it as quick and simple to get into the software let them have a look around, then we can get that information from them. But um, yeah, I think so books, courses, if you can find someone who's a little bit further down the road to help you, uh, a mentor type role, great. Even uh, um, I think there are some courses as well where you can actually t have one-on-one -on -one access to the, mm. to the, uh, you know, the course creator. And I think something like that is very valuable as well. And then of course there are communities, but all of this requires a lot of time. Time, um, yeah, you know, and, and can you eke out enough time? So, and as a founder or as a tech, someone like that, you start that's that thing that you the, the thing you talked about, Dan, where it's like always like referencing do I spend that time or do I just pay someone else? And my other time because I'm good at XYZ is better spent <laughs> doing XYZ, you know, you're always a constant debate. I actually wish I had known about your stuff a while ago, Nathan. Now, full disclaimer here, I've only just come across it, so apologies if I'm coming across a bit green here. I asked the question about, I don't know, three months ago, I posted it. It was just a thought that a bubble that I put out to myself because I was, I was actually just struggling a bit. I was playing around with um, some ideas about how I was going to build a marketing site. What should I do? Jeez, I'm, I'm pretty, I know I'm pretty bad at building UI. Um, so I just shot a message out into the, into the ether, into Twitter and just said, I want to up my UI game, my UI UX game. What should I do? Where should I start? And a few people got in touch with me and majority of the responses were, just get into it, just start building, just start having a go. And I've just, and apologies in advance, I've just actually come across your develop your UX um, course that you've got there. I'm thinking, man, why didn't I actually know about this then? Because I was in the mode, I was in the mindset. So I'm actually going to probably set aside a bit of time here and do it. <laughs> there you go, you got one person signed the reason, up. So. The reason you didn't know is because I suck at marketing. But, uh, <laughs> and, and that's another skill set, isn't it? That's another skill set, so... I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to promote you here. So anyone who's listening to this thinking this is stage, it's not. I literally am just coming off the coffee. I actually look, looks like pretty. It looks like exactly like the sort of thing I needed. Um, 
So thank you. <laughs> they're, they're really good. And that and like things like, you know, obviously the Tarwin guy, what's his name? Um, what, is it Wabin? What's his name? Uh, Adam Wabin. Adam Wabin, yeah. Because he's the one who did Refactoring UI book, wasn't it? Yeah. So like that's just a classic, awesome tech book that, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously, no, obviously I've gone down the path. You're right, Nathan, it's all time. And then it's it's one of these things where sometimes you've got to go, hey, if I really want to do it, there's no substitute for just getting yeah. in and doing it. You can and talk about it all you want. Exactly. And something awesome like that book, uh, you know, Refactoring, the great thing about that is that it, it leads quite literally by example, you know, because you can read and read and read all you want, but actually seeing examples and like, okay, mm. this is the, the the right way to do it. This is the incorrect way to do it. It's so much easier, I think, uh, having it visually there in front of you, being able to say, okay, so this might be how you create your sign up form, but actually this is a bad idea because, and then showing you a better alternative. I think it's yeah. far easier to be able to take that example and, and put it into to, to practice than just saying uh, these are all the guidelines and this is the theory behind why and you know that can be great and interesting and it's in its you know own little world but you know mm. we're building software and we need something that's practical and that we can actually look at and follow almost a set of rules perhaps and uh, and just know that we're moving forward in the right direction or in the best possible direction yeah that's uh, you, so I guess I was going to ask another question, but you sort of hinted at it before, is the tools that we are using now, like, I guess, are they making it easier and are you seeing like, like, you know, I brought up Figma before, um, like how, from your, like your perspective, how sort of central are all these tools? Like are they all coalescing to say Figma, which then goes to sort of whatever, like if you're doing websites, Webflow or whatever, or, you know, Figma to React if you're doing front-end development? Like is it getting to the point where you can almost just focus on a, a small hands handset or is there, or handful, or is there different, you know, thought leadership groups that are like we do this and someone else uses something else or like how, how divided is the community, I guess? Not very because Not really. Figma have come well, in good. and they've absolutely taken over Is it? Everything. Okay, that's cool. I read, I read, I think it was last week, the market share now on, uh, or the use usage share, should we say, on, on design software. And I, I think, I don't remember the exact figures now. This was for 2022. Uh, Figma was basically, I think it was up like 80, 85% uh, of all design market teams. Share. Yeah, wow. yeah. And like, so, and you think after that, like Adobe XD, obviously they're the same thing now, Adobe. And, but like XD, which was the second biggest player, was like, you know, sort of, I don't know, 10% or something of the market share. So you can imagine everything else after wow. that was just a tiny little slither of the market. Um, yeah, so basically Figma is is king, you know. You sort of want healthy competition, but I tell you, when you're coming in to learn stuff, it's always nice to know that you, know, you have to like look at sort of, you know, one thing, you don't have to like yeah, choose. True. Like that's front end. I feel sorry for people. Well, these days it's getting a bit better, but I've talked to Dan about this before where it's like you tried to get into Node or, you know, front end development, say five you know, 10 years ago and there was just so much different versions, you know. There still is now but at least it's React and Node and, you know, that. Like there's no real ch well, less choice. And that, yeah, I think that's good, you know, sometimes when you're trying to learn because you just get analysis paralysis. Otherwise you're like, what the hell, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's so broadly documented now and, in fact, I, I think probably Figma, the Figma documentation is probably the, 
the least used documentation perhaps out there because there's just so much out there now you know so many users so many evangelists and there are just tutorials everywhere there are courses for figma video courses you know it just everything you could imagine so you know if you were looking to get into just one piece of software to do everything you know with your wireframe your designs you know even then being able to sort of because it, it will give you the code as well behind what you've desired um that's probably the easiest route for any developer looking to do that um and it's actually a very in intuitive tool as well um mm. the only thing i use outside of that because i'm old school is i do all my wireframing in balsamic um, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, that's good. I love that one. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Peldy. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, for me. I'm just I'm quicker in balsamic than I am on pen and paper. So I just um, I find one of the one of the uh, perhaps downsides of of using Figma for wireframing, although a lot of designers do, is that it can tend to just be a bit too high, you know, sort of high touch, high res, high, yeah. high res uh, and give the wrong impression. Whereas, you know, we all know, and if you don't know, balsamic is just very rough and ready. It gives yep. it that old marker pen kind of look. I have graduated a little bit from Bolt. Well, I shouldn't say graduated because that's probably the wrong word, but like I've, I liked Whimsical for that because it felt like a little bit more upper than balsamic and gave me some other tools, you know, like mind mapping and stuff. Um, but yeah, when I, I, I found that with Figma that obviously do use it, but it's like I tend to start wanting to do things a little bit too perfect or well, you even know, just start, the, oh, even better just component the straight and lines. do X, Y, Z. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's good having those options. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I will have to check out Balsamic. I haven't looked at it for a few years. It's but. awesome. I've used it for years as well. It's one of those things where if you're in a team or if you're in a larger group and you've got some customers that you're, you're dealing with, you're building stuff for other people. It's so good at taking away their focus on the, the details. You know how when you try and put a design in front of someone and they get they just zero in on the color or the, uh, yeah. the that's the wrong shape, whereas Balsamic's just so good at it. It just says, forget about all that. That's not what we're here to talk about. Let's focus on the UX and the Completely. UI. <laughs> so it's good, yeah. That's what they always say too. Like if you are doing it pen and paper, use a really thick pen. You know, like it's <laughs> going to be really big. Like it make everything just big and thick and... You know, so there's, you can't complain about, oh, that's too thin or this is, it should be this size. Yeah, no, I like it. So I don't know, like we're probably, um, you know, getting uh, closer to the end of the show here. Like is there anything, Nathan, that you think other tips or resources people should go to or anything that, you know, just to sort of help someone, I guess, kick off on the right foot? Yeah, I think kind of general tips is more just don't try and reinvent the wheel is probably the biggest tip because uh, I think that's where most developer-led design teams should we say fall um do follow the standards i know that we think we're being boring but standards exist for a reason you know because you know they say you know familiarity breeds contempt but not when you're using software you know the user expects to be able to find something in this place and to be able to use it into an in interaction to, to to go uh somewhere they expect to so by all means be boring you know follow the standards out there and even if you you know even if you start are starting to learn yes go ahead and directly copy what you're seeing in your favorite pieces of software uh, i mean i don't mean the ui and the branding and all that but the way the layouts are done the interactions how a user is getting from a to b even the language that we're using you know language is such a huge part of of any piece of software and we and we tend to or rather a lot of software tends to forget this and just use the very static and very direct 
order of submit or yes, submit, you know, save, or, cancel. You know, yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and those kind of things, yeah, they aren't necessarily the best options. You know, we can be more, you know, we can help the user out a little bit more than that. And especially on those initial uh, sign up moments, uh, because another big thing as well is, and this is comes up way more than you would probably think is that uh, a lot of software new probably newer and not so new as well you might be surprised to hear just tends to drop their new users into a completely blank canvas with no kind of walkthrough with no kind of help with no kind of that happens a lot more than you'd probably think uh last year i ran a, a whole month of, of ux reviews on on some new software and, and some not so new and i think about 90 percent of them had no onboarding whatsoever uh which was i thought was staggering so Something is better than nothing right now. Even if you're not an onboarding, you know, uh, wizard, something is better than nothing. Even if it's just a, hey, here's a video on how to use it. Um, you know, there are so many basic things. Hierarchy is another thing. You know, think about the old-fashioned newspapers. You know, hierarchy was invented to give us a way to know what was more important. Uh, what should I be looking at now? Uh, is if I'm going to scan through this app or if I'm going to scan through this marketing site, what is going to jump out to me as important you know that's another big thing that tends to get forgotten about by developer-led design is that everything is just the same it's straight up and straight down nothing stands out um contrast is a huge thing as well um i think and this is where even design templates fail uh so often is that uh, contrast and uh, design standards are completely lacking in a lot of areas. You go to to a, to a to a marketing site, a sign up form, a web app, whatever that might be, and so much of those colors are drawn into the background. The contrast is way too low, and I think there's like uh, a couple of years ago, I think there were like over two billion people that had some kind of visual impairment, and so you're already cutting out a huge number of potential users. You know, th there's just very basic things that even visual designers and visual designers sorry i keep hacking on the visual designers but they tend to do this as well because it looks cool because it looks nice you know those very muted shades those very pulling back like if we think about uh, when a button is grayed out as well because it can't be used at that moment in time a lot of times people can't see that because you know of these more than two billion people so there are just some very simple standards you know that you can follow for the hierarchies the layouts you know the walkthroughs the use of color keeping it simple you know you don't want more than two or three colors maybe some shades uh, consistency with interactions consistency with placement um, contrast just these very basic things will already uh, help improve your your app and just make sure that it's consistent throughout nice. uh, the entire system Wow, that's man, that's a that's a good list. I think I'll yeah. have to. Um, well, it's a lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there is no, but I, I think um, you know after the show, like after this, I might see if I can grab some links off you too, and just make sure there's some things in the show notes. If, you know, those particular sure. books you sort of mentioned, yeah, yeah. there was a few that we've already talked about, um, and obviously some links to your stuff. So yeah, hey Nathan, thanks so much for spending a early morning with us. I know it's uh, yeah early for you. Um, did you want to just? Do you want to just? plug your you know if you want your your course or your twitter handle or whatever just so people know where to get hold of you uh yeah twitter i've got to be more consistent on twitter <laughs> my um i have my ups and downs on twitter but uh yeah it's you can find me on on twitter at nathan j powell ux uh came back a couple of years ago to twitter after deleting my account so twitter oh, handles right. were very hard to come by 
uh, but you can definitely grab me over there and, and my course yeah is uh, developyourux.com and so it's it's, it's basically uh, aimed at founders and, and developers as we mentioned who are probably on smaller teams and wanting to up their their sort of their UX game and, and get an idea of some of the basic concepts it's certainly not advanced it's more like you know take you step by step through some of the most important areas that I just mentioned now on that list and hopefully give examples of you know how you can improve those areas and nice. uh, yeah well, I in the background signed up to it <laughs> as we were talking so I, I've got to your second landing page in the in the work sign up flow it says awesome expect an email shortly so I'm looking forward to that cool. <laughs> thank you Nathan thank you Ryan. are you Nathan are you um I just listened to your latest non-tech founder podcast and you guys are taking a bit of a break on that one without giving anything away but you're running another one still yeah well yes and no I don't really know what's going on at the moment with the other two podcasts so uh, Startup Apart was the podcast I was running with my ex-co-founder as well, Michael uh, from Nusi. Um And yeah, I, I'm not really sure what's going on there either at the moment. So I will get back to you on that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but hey, for anyone who hasn't listened to them, they're obviously still in the archives. There's lots of it. Uh, older episodes to catch up on anyway while Nathan's working what he's doing I uh, having on what what are we 12 episodes in I can understand that people start getting a bit um you know it's it's tough to keep a schedule and we're just starting so yeah <laughs> you guys you guys are doing great by the way I I said from the very beginning like uh commenting to to Michael about this just the way you're approaching it on Twitter and everything and, and and getting the word out I think you guys are doing really well and so I, I think you will continue to do so so well then, guys. Oh, we're enjoying it. Yeah. Well, hopefully Dan's enjoying talking to me occasionally. So we we met up in person last week. Yeah, we awesome. actually met in person last week for the first time. That's a good sign, Cole. Oh, wow, well, cool, <laughs> cool. Well, hey, um, anything? Do you want to cover anything, Dan? Or we're all good to close well, out no, the show. Just listen, for the folks who are listening, yeah, just remember you can reach out to us on Twitter at push to prod pod, or you can email the show at push to prod pod at gmail.com. and we'd we'd love any suggestions or topics or questions that you've got. You can also hit Colin up directly on Twitter. He's at Gomo and I'm at Mr. Dan Miller. And so, yeah, leave us a rating, get in touch, tell us what you think. We, we're really looking forward to hearing from you. But again, thanks, Nathan. This has been awesome today. I, I've definitely learned a lot and I've learned about your, you know, your course there, which I said I've signed up to. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. And Cole, you've set this one up today. So thank you, Cole, for setting this one up. So good oh, well, good. Thanks, uh, thanks for everyone and uh, thanks for spending some time with us. And, um, yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Cheers, Nate. Cheers, guys. Cheers, folks. Bye.